Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your hosts. I'm Erica. And I'm Abby. And today I'm going to be telling you about the murder of Marlene Warren. Today I'm drinking cranberry juice. What are you drinking, Abby? (laughs) I am drinking a pumpkin beer that is very tasty. My local grocery store has um, like mix and match beers. And so during the fall, they have a crap ton of seasonal ones. So I like to just get a bunch of different pumpkin beers or fall beers and drink them. I can't remember which brewery it's from. It would be one in Ohio, but it's a pumpkin ale and it's very good. Delicious. All right. So pour yourselves a cup of whatever you're drinking and let's dive in. We will continue on with our content for this week's episode shortly, but first we wanted to take a moment to let you know about an opportunity to listen to even more Crime Over Coffee content. By signing up for our Patreon, you can receive ad-free episodes and additional content. To check out this opportunity and sign up for the Crime Over Coffee Patreon, visit www.patreon.com slash crimeovercoffeepod. Thank you again for all of your support. In May of 1990, Marlene Warren was 40 years old and living with her second husband, Michael, in Wellington, Florida. She had two kids from her previous marriage. Um, Their names were Joe and I can't remember the other one's name, but from all accounts, she was a really great mom. Mike, Michael, ended up being really a father figure in the kids' lives. Marlene and Mike married it would have been probably in the late 70s early 80s and they were living in wellington in a pretty nice suburb they had quite a bit of money Um, they owned several businesses apartment complexes and they ran bargain motors which was a car place that specialized in used cars and rentals and it also was a repo place and as i mentioned pretty wealthy they were worth about a million dollars at the time They even lived in an area with like an airstrip nearby and had their own personal aircraft and hangars there. So things seem to be going pretty well for them. That's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. To have your whole own aircraft hangar. What I want. On May 26, 1990, Marlene was home and she was actually eating breakfast. It was shortly before 11 a.m. And her son, Joe, was there and he was 21 at the time. He'd actually been staying with her and had recently broken his leg. Uh, Additionally, three of his friends were hanging out there as well. While they're having breakfast, they see a car pull in the driveway and they see somebody walking up to the door and the person is dressed up as a clown and they've got a bouquet of flowers and some balloons. And so naturally they're like, oh, maybe somebody's giving flowers for Joe, like feel better soon, you know, take care of his leg. And Marlene goes to the door and opens it. As she opens it, she says something like, oh, how sweet. And at this time, Joe and his friends hear a loud sound, which turned out to be a gunshot. The person dressed as a clown had shot Marlene point blank in the face as soon as she had opened the door, basically. Can't say I'm a fan of this story. Yeah, I, 
immediately thought of Erica with this because I don't know if you all know this or not, but she absolutely loves clowns, can't get enough of them. She has them plastered all over her house and she is now flipping me off. Um, that was sarcasm in case you guys missed it. <laughs> That's what I'm getting you for Christmas, a life-size clown figurine. <laughs> Can you imagine? You like get a present from me in this massive box and you're all excited and you open it and it's just like this horrifying John Wayne Gacy looking. <laughs> in case you guys were curious, my friendship with Abby is ending in like 10 minutes. <laughs> if you end our friendship, I'm just going to send a new one each week. <laughs> I'll position them outside your house, just looking through the windows. <laughs> uh, fun stuff. Anyway. I have applications out for a new friend. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of a crazy story. And there was this quote in a news article that was like, crazy even for Florida. And that kind of made me chuckle because as we all know, the reputation Florida has, they've got some crazy crime, some crazy people, you know, in the past. And I think we maybe have talked about this on some episodes. There were times where people were reporting just seeing clowns around. It was this kind of big phenomenon. It's a weird thing, but a lot of people latch onto it because it's odd. It's really unnatural. Anyway, Joe and his friends rush to Marlene and call 911 and 911 arrives and takes Marlene to the hospital. Meanwhile, while this is all happening, Joe actually tried to get into his car and take off after the person, but he lost them. However, he does have a, a relative description, even though this person was dressed up as a clown. What Joe is able to say is that the person drove up into the driveway in a white Chrysler LeBaron got out, walked up, remember seeing that the clown, the person had brown eyes, and this is very specific that he remembers are the brown eyes, and that comes into play later as well. The person was a, about six foot tall and pretty skinny and had an orange wig on and a red nose and a, a big smile painted on their face. They, The balloons and flowers ended up actually getting left there, and one of them said, you're the greatest. And the other one had a picture of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves on it. They notice after this happens that the person goes back into the car and drives off and they did not have a license plate. As I mentioned, Marlene goes to the hospital and she ends up dying two days later as a result of her injuries. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Immediately after this happens, police are on it pretty quickly, honestly. And they're looking at the balloons and flowers and the costume description. And they start canvassing the area and they're able to track down that the balloons came from a Publix nearby. And when they go there, they're talking to employees and they remember somebody coming in to buy a clown costume. That's suspicious yeah the costume i think 
they said got purchased like the night before and then the balloons got purchased just a f- hour before the shooting. Now, keep that in mind. It'll come back into play later. Officers a few days later find out that there was an abandoned Chrysler LeBaron at a Winn-Dixie parking lot. And when they track it down, they do find some artificial orange-like fibers that they believe could have been matching that clown wig. Um, They also find a strand of brown human hair. However, at this time, it's 1990. As we know, DNA is not huge yet. Um, So they collect it, they look at it, but they don't, they're not able to test it to figure out who it's connected to yet. As what occurs with most cases, as soon as a spouse is murdered, they typically look into the other spouse. And so they wanted to look into Michael. And this was for a few reasons. Apparently, there had been some issues between Michael and Marlene. And Marlene was pretty sure that Michael was cheating. And she even said to her son at some point and to her mom, if something happens to me, look into Michael, which is a pretty serious statement to make. Yeah, I don't feel like people usually make that statement unless they're truly a s- yeah. something I, potential. Yeah, I mean, I that statement has a lot of weight to it, I would say. They're also able to figure out that, I guess, few years prior to this, uh, Joe had had some issues and he was in court and they had a lawyer. And at some point, Michael asked the lawyer, what would happen if a husband were to kill his wife? And like, what would happen to her estate and whatnot? Like weird questions that seem sketchy. People don't typically just randomly ask those questions. Yeah. I mean, definitely suspicious. Did he also get a life insurance policy taken out on her like three days before? Uh, I don't think it was like that, but I will say he benefited greatly because they own so much property and so many businesses and were worth so much money. I mean, that is certainly a motive that police were looking at. However, they look into where Michael was when this happened. And I guess he was on his way to the Calder racetrack in Miami Gardens. And he was with people who corroborated this. And so they ruled him out as being the shooter. It was that easy to rule him out? Just somebody said that he was headed there with them? I mean, he was physically not there. I guess. It just... What if that person's lying? I think he was with more than one person, but for whatever, oh, okay. I mean, it was enough that they knew he wasn't the shooter. So, okay. I was like, that just doesn't seem that airtight, but all right. He's still suspicious for one reason or another. Yeah. When they are asking him, like, what do you think happened and whatnot? He kind of was like, maybe it was people being angry at them. I guess they had made some enemies being landlords and repossessing cars and whatnot. And so he thought maybe it'd be something like that. People have killed for less, but they had no specific ties to anybody to look into regarding that scenario. I think that's what they usually do. Police are kind of hitting this like moment of where do we go now? And they remember that some people had mentioned that Marlene was concerned that there was an affair happening. And so they start to look into this more and they go to Bargain Motors And they are talking to some employees there and they're all basically like, uh, yeah, he was very openly 
from what we could see, having an affair with Sheila Keen, who worked there. So not only did they confirm that there was a potential affair, they specifically gave a, a name. Like, they name-dropped somebody, and they were like, go check her out. Yes, multiple people. Pretty telling. Yeah, and, you know, they when they reached out to Sheila and to Michael, they deny it. But employees were like, no, definitely. They definitely had something going on. They mentioned that, like, neighbors at an apartment complex nearby actually thought Sheila and Michael were husband and wife. That's how much they were interacting in a way that would seem so. Yeah, that's not looking good. And so, of course, investigators are like, hey, we should probably look into Sheila. And they have her come in. They're talking to her. They get a photo of her. They take that to the employee who sold the clown suit who verifies that Sheila was the one who purchased it. Whoa, I did not expect it to be that just like cut and dry that they were just like yeah for sure yeah they okay you know and so additionally some other evidence they're looking at at one point joe has in an interview said like specifically i remember those eyes they're definitely hers the hair they found in the car was a long brown one which matched what sheila's hair looks like at the time additionally the car that was found had been reported stolen from a lot that was Michael's. So was it speculated that Michael could have had any idea that she was going to do this? I think a lot of people believe that he was involved one way or another, and it'll become a little bit clearer in my eyes that he probably was. However, at this point, police have no evidence, circumstantial or direct evidence that would put him as an involved player. The unfortunate thing that happens with this case is a lot of the evidence they have is pretty circumstantial. And basically, the DNA at this point that they're looking at, they say could have come from one out of every 20 women. They don't have a direct DNA match because that's not what was not within their capacity at that point in time. And when they're talking about the fibers found, it was a generic orange synthetic fiber. They can't directly connect it to the wig. And with that being said, even more, they don't even have the clown suit in possession. Because Sheila worked for Michael's lot, the car lot, her hair being in the car doesn't mean she was connected to the murder either. It could have been, it was in there from her moving it or whatever have you, because she worked there around these cars. I mean, I guess... And in most situations, I'd be like, yeah, sure, that'll rule it out. But also, I just don't trust Sheila in this story so far. Yeah, I mean, it definitely sounds sketchy. Something they did find that points another direction that kind of helps not prove that she was connected, but connects things suspiciously. When they look at Sheila's closet, they do find some orange fibers that match the ones that were found in the car and match what visually was seen as the clown quote-unquote was walking up before they shot marlene i'm really hating the visuals here but i feel like that's enough is it not i mean it's all stuff that can be explained away yeah that could provide reasonable doubt so does she bought the clown costume um, i'm gonna sit back and i'm gonna let you tell where the story goes <laughs> yeah so <laughs> something that does happen from all this they start looking into mike's business and they do find out that he was involved with some sketchy stuff and he ends up getting charged with racketeering insurance fraud and odometer tampering 
And he gets convicted on 43 counts of fraud and does go to prison for a while. But oh wow, here's where things get a little bit more like suspicious at one end and very messed up at the very least. After he gets out of prison, he reconnects with Sheila and they end up getting married. Okay. I can't say I really suspected anything less. So I guess when Michael had gone to prison, he kind of distanced himself from the kids. Um, I know Joe had a lot of issues following his mother's murder and was in and out of rehab. He's doing well now, but he did have issues and him and Michael drifted apart. And Michael and Sheila got married in 2002 and they moved to Virginia. They actually ended up managing um, a restaurant called the Purple Cow. And another few tidbits that or one tidbit, I'll even say, that seemed really messed up. So employees kind of knew the situation. So Sheila was going by Debbie and she had dyed her hair blonde. So she was kind of trying to disassociate herself from that past. But, you know, people know stuff. And there were rumors that she had, in fact, murdered Michael's now gone wife. And they had connected it to the whole clown thing. And I guess at one point, Sheila actually wore clown makeup to the restaurant during Halloween. And I was like, even if she's not involved remotely, that seems like a really messed up thing to do. One way or another, that just seems insensitive. Like, even if you didn't had nothing to do with it. Yeah. Like it's insensitive. If you, you, yeah, let's say you truly have nothing to do with it. It's your now husband's ex-wife, not I should, ex-wife probably is the wrong term, but wife that got murdered by someone dressed up as a clown. There's plenty of other Halloween costumes she could have gone with. Yeah, instead of dressing up as the same thing that killed your husband's ex. Yeah, seems weird, especially when you were a suspect for being the murderer. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it seems fishy. And, you know, employees for her reported that she was kind of a mean lady and a little hard to work with. Not that that points to murder by any means, but it just goes into the character. But because of, you know, the type of evidence they have, they don't have enough really to charge her. And the case just kind of goes quiet for a while. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. In 2013, the case got picked up again. A new prosecutor, Reed Scott, gets involved and he wants to revisit forensic evidence. As I mentioned earlier, there was a hair. And so they test it and they are able to connect it to Sheila. I feel like we kind of already knew that. And this is the hair that was in the car, right? That they're testing? Yes, but they're... That they just blamed it on... Able to actually, like... Because in 2013, you can use mitochondrial DNA to actually connect it to a specific person. Whereas in 1990, they were not able to do that. They were just like, hey, it looks like her hair. So we're 100% sure it's hers. But in 1990, they were blaming it on the fact that she just worked with the cars. Correct. So is it meaning something more now that we have 100% DNA? Well, they are saying the same thing. In 1990, 
they weren't even going that far. I guess I shouldn't have said it like that because they were like, it means nothing. You can't connect it to her at all. So now this is really where they're pulling that in. However, prosecution has what they feel is enough circumstantial and DNA evidence to now charge Sheila. And in 2017, Sheila gets charged with first degree murder. I'm content with that. So I'm going to just talk a little bit about some more of the defense and the prosecution. A lot of people at this point truly believe that Sheila was the murderer. However, as I mentioned, there's those reasons that their defense is pulling up that says it's not her. And there's an innocent explanation for how this hair is here. Or you can't really be sure that she matches the eyewitness account because it happened so fast. What they're basically doing is like, hey, there's enough reasonable doubt here that you cannot definitively say that Sheila was responsible. Another thing that comes up is the evidence bags throughout this process. I mean, it's been at this point 27 years. Some of them were like ripped open within the area they were sitting. So you can point to some tampering or it increases the potential reasonable doubt talking about maybe cross-contamination and whatnot. And then there is a lot of issues that came up throughout this process of going to trial, Um, one of them being COVID, but other just random things. I think the trial got rescheduled something like six times. It was going to finally go to trial this year, 2023. Another thing that I just kind of wanted to talk about, I thought it was kind of a weird thing, but whatever. Defense also pointed to some documents about like weird clown sightings and people dressing up as clowns and doing like crimes and random crap and saying that the fact that it was a person dressed up as a clown, maybe it was one of those weird occurrences. So anyway, we're at this point now. It's 2023. She's been in jail for five years at Six, going on six years at this point and her trial had been postponed six times and they're finally thinking maybe we're going to get to trial but on both ends prosecution and defense there's questions and they're both sides a little nervous about what kind of verdict will turn out and because of all this a plea bargain ends up coming up so what ends up happening is Sheila Keen Warren decides that she will pull her not guilty and plea that she is guilty. I'm curious what this plea deal is then. Yes. So basically the plea bargain or plea deal results in her being in jail for 12 years. However, she's already been in jail six years and Florida law allows for time off for good behavior. So there's a chance that she could be released next year. So really her taking this deal is just the best way for her to not really serve any more time and just get her out. Right. And, you know, that's kind of what the defense is saying. Originally, they wanted to look into the death sentence, but that got pulled early on. But yeah, it's it's kind of for her. It depends how you want to look at it. So her defense is still claiming that she is actually innocent and she took this because she's looking at if she's found guilty being in prison for her life versus maybe getting out next year, even though she will be a quote unquote convicted murderer. And then on the other side, the prosecution and for Joe, who was Marlene's son, who did an interview talking about this, they were concerned that she would be found not guilty and all the charges would be dropped and they would have no justice. And so between 
all of the ebbs and flows of this case, the plea deal just made the most sense for both parties. And for Joe, it meant that he finally got that closure and some form of justice. So yeah, that's basically the story. This all unfolded within the past couple of months. Um, If you Google it, there's articles about the plea deal occurring in October and November of 2023. It's still kind of going on, so we're not sure exactly what that means for a release date. She, I mean, her defense still maintains innocence. They reached out to Michael for an interview at some point. He wouldn't really talk with them, but they went to his house and like talked to him through his glass door, like screen door. And he was kind of like, oh, I had nothing to do with it. Sheila had nothing to do with it. I wouldn't have married her if she did. And I think he's still kind of claiming that maybe it was somebody who was upset via their various businesses, but they both, in a sense, I can't say she maintains her innocence because she pled guilty, but the general consensus from that team or that camp is that they had nothing to do with it. Whereas the other side is pretty positive. They were involved in that Sheila was definitely the shooter and Michael was likely involved in one way or another. I feel like Sheila was definitely involved. It's really rare for somebody to full on plead guilty to something that they didn't do, especially 30 years later. Yeah, I mean... So I'm going to say she's just doing it out of a guilty conscience almost. You know, from my perspective and just the research I've done, I would lean that way too. But of course, you know, I don't know everything that was involved with the case. I don't know all the evidence. So if you guys have any thoughts or you come across other stuff, please let us know. It's definitely an interesting, not cut and dry case. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Thanks to listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepot at outlook.com. All of our sources can be found in the show notes for each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. You can also support us by recommending us to friends and family, giving us a good review on Apple Podcasts, or subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.